0: I want to talk to you about what St. Augustine will call the invisible church or the church with capital letters. The church that, uh, that, we'll, meet one, that we'll meet one day um, in eternity and forever in heaven. And, um, and the importance of being um, real, the importance of being um, truly the church of the Lord Jesus Christ um, established. Um, we see so many examples today of, of people still hungry for spiritual things or spirituality. Some of them, they confuse spirituality with spiritualism. But there is, there is a hunger for more um, in our world. But there's a lot of people who have been put off from church. You know, they, they will have a, let's say, a stereotype in our head of, of, of a preconception of what church is. Some people or most people will think about uh, a dark, cold building and uh, irrelevant liturgy and things like that. Um, Some other people will uh, think about church like a place where they got hurt um, and they don't want to go back there. Um, Some people will think about church like something that is, um, you know, they're not good enough to go there because it's just for perfect people. So everyone has a different concept of what church is. But I think I, I got an example here in the, in the Old Testament I want to share with you today about, um, about what things are supposed to be. Um, I always talk about the theology of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul always moves from the indicative to the imperative, that means from how things are to how things are ought to be. I, f- I remember a few years ago, I was sharing with you um, an illustration about, about nature. If you remember f- a couple of weeks ago, I believe, Bethany, we went to um, one of these um, natural parks, you know, like a zoo, Highland, Highland Wildlife Park, that's the one. And we've been there years and years ago. Timoth- Ethan was very, very little. Timothy was not born yet. And we took the boys two, three weeks ago. And uh, we have a, a great time. Uh, you should go. They got new polar polar bears, a baby polar bear, which was beautiful. And uh, we have a, a wonderful time. And, uh, you know, wh- when you drive there and then you see the beauty of this nation, the beauty of Scotland, right? The, you know, the mountains and uh, and the heather and the reindeers, and all these different things that we see, right? Um, And then you get there, and then you see all these animals. Some of them are not from here. Some of them um, were here at some point, like wolves and bears and things like that, right? And then you see that even the conception that we have of this nation today, of Scotland, is not what Scotland used to be. Do you know that Scotland has only 1% of the trees that they used to have a few hundred years ago. So that picture of, you know, when you drive around and then you see all these barren mountains with a little bit, a few trees, you know, here and there, but barren mountains with, with no trees. You know, hundreds of years ago, those mountains were full of vegetation and full of trees. And they were, for different purposes, they were cut. And uh, so even even our, our own... Um, Nature, you know, we have to do like the Apostle Paul, they, you know, they, from the indicative to the imperative, how things are to how things are ought to be. And how um, Scotland has made a, a fantastic effort to reintroduce um, more trees and reintroduce more animals. And uh, the red kites came back and, uh, a, f- a few years ago. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing, isn't it? When I think about the church, I, 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 see, I see the church as a, as, a, as a constant um, working ground where wicked people have done a lot of damage and, and brought a lot of bad reputation. But at the same time, it's a living organism that is bringing life daily to hundreds of people, thousands of people around the world. People are still willing to die for the message of the cross. People are still willing to go way beyond their own um, comfort zone just yes, to get the message across and to and to preach the message. Which, by the way, now that I said that, um, we have some um, leaflets and some information about the um, Revive Scotland event that is taking uh, three weeks, something like that. So just just get some information. There's little little leaflets and then also big posters. So if you if you own a, a business and you want to put the poster in your business or whatever, uh, feel feel welcome. Okay, to to take um, a few with you. Um, and keep praying for, for, for that event. Um, but what I'm trying to say is the church is, is a powerful, a powerful um, living organism. Um, some people have this picture of the church being like a, like a cruise, you know, when you sit down and then you enjoy a lovely program, especially bigger churches. You know, when you get professionals doing everything for us, but I think th- the church shouldn't be a a, a cruise ship. It was it sh- it's supposed to be a fishing boat. We're we're all working and we are all we all have different skills, and there are people who have different skills and and but we all have to pull our way together. Um, some people think about the church as a as a museum, a museum of saints, and there are churches that they have icons with all the saints there, and. Um, the church should be more a hospital for sinners. I was in the hospital last night, as you can imagine, as you can see, and uh, I was very grateful to amazing professionals who are there, you know, um, waiting for silly people like me to come and uh, and get sorted. And um, you know, e- everyone doing their job with a smile, you know, with in the best of their ability, So I really admire uh, doctors and nurses and all the personnel in the hospital, but. You see, that to me is like a picture of a church. Everyone doing their little bit. And um, there's not much comparison in a hospital. I mean, you, you can have hundreds of nurses and many doctors. You know, when you have an emergency, you don't think about who's the best nurse or who's the best doctor. We are all pulling together and we will try to fix the situation, isn't it? Church should be like that, isn't it? Where we we think about... The bigger picture, and the bigger picture is that there's a whole a whole society which is struggling and is dying, and they're going into an eternity without the Lord, and we need we need to get the message across, so at least they have the choice to accept it or reject it, but I would like to share a, a portion of scripture. This is a message that the Lord gave me many years ago. It was actually a few weeks before I went to Bible school. Um... I was preaching in North Africa, and, um, and the Lord uh, you know, gave me this message. And I have realized that this message has become part of, part of my, my, my theology, part of my, my ministry. And I have seen this message um, kind of shaping my, my, my thoughts and, and the different seasons of my life. So I will invite you to open your Bibles with me, please, or switch your Bibles on in, in the book of Nehemiah. Chapter 13. This is the last chapter, and this is a fascinating book. Fascinating book. And Oz and Chema will help me with the, with the PowerPoint. We're going to be reading from the New King James Version. Nehemiah chapter 13, and we will read the first um, 12 verses or so. Okay? I will give you a little bit of a context. Are you with me? Okay, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1 says, On that day, and they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written to in it it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitudes from Israel. Now, we we move to a, a different section, but let me just stop here for a minute. Basically, what happened, people of Israel are coming back from the exile, and uh, we see a, a wonderful restoration happening, and Nehemiah and Ezra, and other key leaders were very important um, in, you know, in, 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 in rebuilding Jerusalem, in rebuilding the temple, and rebuilding the, the walls. Nehemiah, was in charge of rebuilding the the walls and to bring also spiritual um, um, restoration. Uh, we don't have the time to get in, in depth, but basically what they did is they built this wooden platform, and, uh, and all, all the Israelites after seven years that they were not able to, uh, or some of them they probably forgot even how to speak Hebrew. After seventy years they came back, and they built this wooden platform, and. For two or three days, they read the whole Word of God for the first time. And uh, when they got to this particular text, which is a quotation of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verses 3 and 5, when it says that no Ammonite and Moabite should ever enter in the assembly of the Lord up to the 10th generation. Um, Of course, there's, there's a lot going on here. Ammonites and Moabites, if you remember, they were the the children of an incest sexual relationship between Lot, that was the nephew of Abraham, and his two daughters. When they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know the story. Um, his wife um, died on the way. She becomes she became a statue of salt, and um, Lot refuge with his daughters in in the in the mountains and. You know the daughters thought you know, the whole land is is destroyed. There there are no men around, which was not the case. But that's what they thought. So let's just make our father drunk and and let's sleep with him and and we will have um, descendants. So the, f- the oldest daughter slept with the father the first night, and then the second daughter the next the next day. The Bible says that Lot didn't even realize what was going on, and um, from these two incest relationships came two children Ammon and Moab the Ammonites and the Moabites and then they were historically enemies of Israel at the point that they even hired a prophet so they could curse the Israelites when they were coming to possess the land and uh, that that prophet was Balaam and uh, they they basically um, hire him and when he was trying to curse the only thing that came out of his mouth was blessings and this is, this is what the Bible is saying here. And then it was found when, when they have this particular day where they build this platform and then they read, read the word of God. They, see, uh, they, they, they got to Deuteronomy 23. And then they realized that many of them, when they were in this exile, they got involved with, um, with um, husbands and wives, got involved with people from other nations, especially Ammonites and Moabites. Now, um, many theologians believe that this particular context, Deuteronomy 23, is referring to male, like you know, that you will not receive um, uh, a male Ammonite or Moabite. But um, it was not forbidden, apparently, to to get you know to marry with you know to marry a, a Moabite uh, woman. So we see that in the in the case of Ruth, Ruth was a, a Moabite and she she got married um she was a proselyte, which means a uh, converted to Judaism and she got married um, uh, she married an Israelite uh, and in that particular case um it was it was obviously um allowed but um it seems from the Hebrew context the male um, um, wording that is referring especially to uh, that you will not accept a male uh, Ammonite or Moabite into the family into the assembly of God, so that was a, an important thing because when they came all the way from the exiled, they have to make a choice, and the choice is we are gonna live in holiness, we are gonna live according to to the word of God, or we will continue with our lives. Some of them um, separated and some of them they were not willing to separate so the ones who separate and trying to live a holy life they they came back as you know they they, they came back to the to the land but the people that um, compromised they were the so-called samaritans and that's why the jews and the samaritans they couldn't stand each other because for for a jew a samaritan was a second class jew it was a jew that didn't stand for for the lord in the in the key Moment um, in, in their spirituality, you see. So there's, there's a lot going on in this just in these three verses. It's a lot of history, but what I w- what I want to emphasize for us in a practical level, because I'm talking I'm preaching from the Old Testament, but I want to be practical today, is the importance of of holiness. You're, you're thinking about the, the the people coming to the Lord, the people hearing the word of God for the first time, people coming and being serious about um about the Lord. Thank you, Lord. They I'm getting Pentecostal here. <laughs> the doctor will not be happy, but um, he told me not to play the piano either. But um, my wife says I'm a very bad patient because I have no patience, so she's right. Um, so anyway, um, there's a lot going on here, and the importance is that they are coming from a from a place of slavery, and they are coming to their to the a place of promise and the pre, a, a place where they are. Um, in God's favor, and then when you do that, you need to step in faith in God's word and in God's holiness, and that's what they were doing. They heard the word, when they heard the word, and then they heard what the word said, some of them acted according to the word, and some of them ignored what the word said or prefer not to do that and, and compromise and continue uh, being married to people that they were not supposed to, and so on. Now, verse four. Now, so Oz will help me with this. Chapter thirteen, verse four. This is the continuation of our story. This is um, Nehemiah giving a a, a wee sort of introduction, and now he gets to to the, to the key point. He says, "Now, before this, now before this, Eliashib the priest, having authority over the store rooms of the house of our God." Was allied with Tobiah. Now, Tobiah. If you read chapter two of Nehemiah, you can that that will be your homework today. Okay, <laughs> read chapter two. Chapter one will help you, but chapter two, um, you will see that Tobiah was an Ammonite, and he was a constant, to put it mildly, pain in the neck to to um, the Israelites, specifically to Nehemiah. They were. He was opposing for the people of Israel to come back and rebuild the city and, 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 and the temple and, and the walls. So he was a constant enemy. But here we have Eliashib, the high priest, or the priest uh, specifically, not the high priest, but the priest. And he had authority over the storerooms. This is a key word for us today. The storerooms of the house of our God was allied with Tobiah. Listen to this. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then, after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the court of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into the into I, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Verse 10. I also realized that the portions for the Levites have not been given to them, for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why? is the house of God forsaken. And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will speak to us. And although, Lord, this is a a very ancient um, text, it's a text that... uh, escapes our understanding in terms of context and knowledge and uh, and culture, I mean, language. There's so many things, Lord, that we don't fully understand. But, Lord, we pray that we will be able to understand the, the basics to apply this to our lives today, Lord, that we will be able to leave this room today with a fresh understanding of who you are, of your purpose for our lives, and that you will exhort us and, and challenge us, Lord, to to look at you, the author and the finisher of our faith, and to walk in the light that you provide. in Jesus name we pray. Amen. So now, so you remember the story of, of, of Nehemiah? He, he was serving the king. He was the cup bearer. He He was basically constantly uh, next to the king and the queen. And the chapter one of Nehemiah talks about him hearing from some of his brothers who came from Jerusalem. And he told him how Jerusalem was, that it was desolated and it was all burned and all destroyed. So the Bible says that he was so sad and he fasted and prayed for a few days. And then he, he asked the Lord to, for the Lord to give him favor uh, when he would be in the presence of the king. Now, when he went to the presence of the king, he was very sad. And when the king and the queen saw that he was sad, that was risk, you know, risking his life, really, because in the presence of the king, you cannot be sad. That's why they have all these clowns and all these uh, gestures. And, you know, in the, ha- in the presence of the king, which was trying to be a symbolism of heaven, it's just joy. There's no sadness. So suddenly, the cupbearer, seated basically next to the king and the queen, is serving, but he's, ser- he's serving with a, with a mood, right? And then the king and the queen saw him. They must be good people, and they must love their servants because they says, Nehemiah, what's, you know, what's wrong with you? We have never seen you like this. You know, they could say get out of here or you know or whatever but you know what's wrong with you and that was the favor of the lord that's the prayer that he was praying before and then he says well this is what happened i just heard news of my homeland is destroyed my you know jerusalem the house of my lord you know that's all been burned and destroyed this and then the king and the queen says well, what what do you want us to do and he says just just give me leave. Just give me, give me permission. Give me letters to go to through the different countries. Give me a visa, basically, to go through the different countries. And if it please the king, please give me wood and, and and different things that we will need to rebuild. And then the king says, Yes, but please come back soon. He loved him. They loved him both. It was the king and the queen. Yeah, go ahead, but come back. And. That's actually exactly what Nehemiah did. You see, in the the first chapters, he went there. It explains everything that he did and all the favor that the Lord gave him. And then at some point, he has to go back because he was accountable to his authority. And he went back to the king. And then he says here, for a few days. That in Hebrew Hebrew, um, uh, literature could actually mean a couple of years. He could easily be away for two or three years. Now, when he comes back to Jerusalem again to keep on building and restoring, he realized that Eliashib, the priest, the guy that should understand, the guy that should know the Word of God, he had become a relative. It doesn't, it's not very specific, this, this version. But he actually became a relative with Tobiah an Ammonite. And not only He has become a relative of of him, which was forbidden for any Ammonite and and, 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 and Moabite to enter into the the assembly of the Lord, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 to 5. Everyone saw that and read that when they read the the whole scripture that particular day. Everyone knew that. That's why Jews and Samaritans got separated. And then the priest, the one that should know, he becomes a relative of Tobiah. Not only that, his authority was over a storehouse. And there were six specific things that were supposed to be in that house for the purpose of serving in ministry. But what Eliashib has done is he emptied that room of the holy things and make a large room, a holiday apartment for this stinking Ammonite. So basically, we have the spiritual authority becoming a relative of an Ammonite, which it symbolizes an enemy of the people of God. And then we have this Ammonite living in a storeroom where holy things should be kept. So when Nehemiah can, comes back and he realizes the whole situation, he says it grieves him bitterly. As I said before, he identified the sin. It was found written in the law of Moses that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God according to Deuteronomy 23, 3 to 5, 3 to 6. The Moabites and Ammonites were descendants originally of this sinful relationship, as I said before, and they have been historically enemies. You can read that also in Genesis 19, and you can continue in Deuteronomy 23 in the whole chapter. But the amazing thing is, They were these six things, and this is what I want to be practical today. I I, I will talk to you about what they were and what they symbolize in our own lives. Because the thing is, Tobiah was not supposed to be there. And this is what I want to talk to you today, whether it's in in our own individual hearts or, or whether we are talking about the whole community here. We have to keep Tobiah in check. We cannot allow Tobiah to get over and make a home in our hearts, okay? So, the first thing that they had, um, Nehemiah says they had grain offerings. They have incense. They have different articles, tools. They have the tithe of grain. They have the new wine, and they have oil. All these six things were supposed to be in that room. And those six things were taken away completely. So, it, you know, the, the room could be a place, a, a large room for, for, for Tobiah. Now, the first thing I want to talk to you is about the first one here, the grain offerings. Grain offerings. That's, that's when you had a harvest, and then you collect the grain, and then you bring it voluntarily like an offering. The Bible um, describes... In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So that those grain offerings, um, you know, in the Old Testament, they could be translated in our own times as our devotion, our praise, our worship. It's what we voluntarily choose to give God. Are you guys with me? Right? The second point, the incense, the incense obviously is a symbolism of prayer revelation chapter 5 verse 8 says and golden bowls full of incense incense sorry which are the prayer of the saints the next thing they have was the articles as tools to do ministry which we you know we can compare that to our spiritual gifts the spiritual gifts have been given to the church and the believers so we can edify the church so these are our tools so when we are here preaching, uh, worshiping, serving, we are all bringing our own gifts for the edification of everyone. Amen? So the, 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 the articles, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12 says, Even so you, since you are zealous for the spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So here the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to seek for gifts, spiritual gifts, so we can edify one another. It's not for us to show off. It's not for us to say, oh, you know, look how good I am. No, it's, it's for me to edify the church of the Lord, right? So spiritual gifts. Then, number four, it says the tithe of grain. That's not the offering of grain. It's the tithe of grain, right? You see, there's a the difference between tithes and offerings, right? When we when we think about uh, tithes, tithe is we give God 10% of what we receive. We bring him, and we bring him to, 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 his, to his treasures, and that, and that's the church. That's the local church where we are. We, we bring our tithes to the Lord, right? The offerings is something that you give as much as you want, whenever you want, to whoever you want. So that's the difference between, you know, some people say, you know, what's the difference between tithes and offerings? You know, we, we tithe to the Lord, and we bring offerings, obviously, to the Lord, but we can give offerings to different ministries, different people, you know, that's why um, it's important that, that, that we have a, a proper concept, um, you know, so basically our, the tithe of grain here in, in, in the book of Nehemiah is basically the tithe of our goods, that the, the um, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 says, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, so um, I, I was talking to a friend this week, and we were talking about tithes and offerings, and I said, well, this is the way I see it, I think I think tithing is like worship. It's something that we, you know, we live on. You know, we we constantly, you know, we, we worship God with our life, with everything we do. Everything we do is to worship Him. And I see offerings like praise. You see? That it comes sporadically, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you wake up in the morning and you just feel like praising the Lord or you just put this music and, you, you know, praise is something that is spontaneous and you can you can do in different ways. You can praise God when you're in your car, uh, you know, and you're just singing along or you can be in your house and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you feel like, you know, speaking in tongues and praise the Lord and shout and, and declare His goodness. You see, that's praise. So again, it helps me to see tithes. is like a that's what I do, it's, off, it's, it's, a, it's a worship, it's a constant thing, I do it regularly, and praise, I do whenever I feel like it, hallelujah, and I have actually, like David says, I force myself to praise, you know, he says, oh my soul, magnify the Lord, sometimes, you know, we don't feel like praising, sometimes we, you know, we are, we are tired, we are depressed, we are, you know, we, we had a, a rough week, that's actually when you have to praise the most, hallelujah, oh Lord, I will praise you because you are way above My own circumstances, and let me tell you something. It works. You know, you realize that you know, you know, God is way bigger than your situation. And when you start focusing on Him, you know, things start changing, the perspective of things start changing. Hallelujah. So the tithe of grain. Number five, the new wine. The new wine. Not the old wine, the new wine, which was sweeter and that symbolizes joy in the bible. Uh, Psalm 104 verses 14 and 15 says and the wine that makes glad the heart of man. We're not talking here about abuse of drunkenness. That's that's not what the bible is talking about. We are against that. Every time there is drunkenness in the bible there is a curse. We're not talking about drunkenness. We are talking about uh, the new wine. You know the, the, the you know you being in the desert in a hot climate country and then all of a sudden you come to a friend's tent and you will, they will, will wash your feet and you will have something sweet you have going through a sandstorm it's hot, you are dry and then all of a sudden you get something sweet and fresh joy the Bible describes how, how people came to someone's tent and the first thing that they got was some bread and some figs and some wine and then their spirit came back to them that's, it's, you know, Old Testament symbolism, Old Testament vocabulary, meaning, okay, now we can get into business, but I need to be refreshed. I need, I need to get some strength here. I've, I've been going through a, a difficult journey, okay? Praise the Lord. And then the final one is the oil, the oil, which is, is a symbolism of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, um, Exodus 30 and also 1 Samuel 7:16 16 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. He's talking about him anointing David. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. That's Samuel the prophet anointing David. And the moment the oil touched his head, the Holy Spirit came upon him from that day forward. So oil is a symbolism of the Holy Spirit. But if we think about the new wine and the oil, and we put it together, that was also a symbolism. This is a bonus. That was a symbolism of, of um, health. When you think about the story of the, um, um, was that the Good Samaritan, right? This person has been attacked, beaten, robbed, and is laying down on the ground. And then there's a couple of religious people that pass by and ignore it. And then this good Samaritan. He wasn't a good Jew. He was a good Samaritan. You see the story? The tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. Right? This guy who was in the the bad guy's territory. Uh, Today will be the Russians, probably. With all the situation in the Ukraine. The story about the good Russian. You know, you think about the Bible. The Bible is... It's in your face let me tell you a story jesus says you know and we are all justice for the ukraine which of course we want we pray for peace and then jesus comes and says let me tell you a story the story about the good russian what are you talking about that provocative was the message so here is a story i will tell you a story jewish people about the good samaritan you know talking about a good punchline there right that's not, a good introdu- and that's not a good introduction, Jesus. You should, you know, you just throw it at the end. No, bam, from the beginning. You see the story of the Good Samaritan. And then he, he sees this man wounded, you know, wounds everywhere. And what the first thing that he does, he puts wine to disinfect the wound, to clean the wound. And then he puts oil Around the skin, so the you know the um, the skin will will close and it will it will it will heal better. The, the skin will be flexible. I'm not a doctor, but I got a bit of a class yesterday. Um, but it's important the wine and the oil, the joy and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is a symbolism of health. Hallelujah. Now, all these six things. Let me say again. Let me. Let me just say, let me just say the, um, the old and the new, okay? The grain offerings, the incense, the articles, the tithe of grain, the new wine, and the oil, which in our days will be our devotion and praise and worship, our prayer life, our spiritual gifts, the importance of, of being disciplined with our tithes and offerings, the joy of the Lord, which is supposed to be our strength, And the anointing of the Holy Spirit that together with the joy is healing in our our soul. All of this was taken away just so Tobias could have the room. Now, Tobias represents all external agents. Tobias represents all external agents who are against the will of God. You see, we all got Tobias. Or Tobias says, is that, the, is that the word? My Tobias may be different to David's Tobias, and it may be different to Jimena's Tobiah and different to us tobias. We all have external agents that are always trying to sneak in our hearts and steal our joy, our devotion, our prayer life, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So Tobiah is our great greatest enemy. He's there. For your distraction, whether it's in your heart, whether it's in the church of the Lord. In this particular case, it was in the public. But I want to encourage you to look, start with your heart, start with you, and then we can look out. Okay, let's, let's deal with the, with the, what do you call it, the, the peck in our eye and then not in the beam in the eye of my brother. Let's just start with us, right? So Baya represents that, you know, and it's important for us as believers to be real honest with ourselves. You know, we have to be real honest with ourselves and realize, who am I? And who am I without the Lord? Because your identity, the Bible says, is hidden in Jesus Christ. That means that everything we are, everything we do is to the glory of God. Uh, hallelujah. I believe that with all my heart. But let me tell you something. If I will not be working, if sorry, if I will not be... Um, walking in Christ, I know exactly the type of sins I will be committing. What about you? I know exactly what attracts me in my flesh. And I run from it. And I'm, every time I see anything, I, f- I run from it. I don't, I don't want to have that kind of life. I know exactly what attracts me, what seduces me. And I think we all as believers, we have to be aware of that reality. We, even, we have even seen the church of the living God, in, 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 you know, the church as an institution being seduced by politics, being seduced by fashion, being seduced by music styles, being seduced by flags and political approaches and That's why I I, I have have chosen not to speak from this pulpit about politics ever. Because our calling is way higher than politics. And when when Nehemiah came back and realized what Eliashib, the guy out of everyone, the the one that was supposed to know. In verse 8. First part of verse 8 says, and I felt, it grieved me bitterly. He, he felt this pain. Nehemiah experienced a great pain due to this evil situation created by the religious leader Eliashib, the priest, in consideration for Tobiah. It was not just, it was not just a temporal uncomfort. He was not just, oh, you know, it doesn't feel right. No, he, the word says that Nehemiah was grieved bitterly. Have you ever been grieved bitterly? Have you experienced grief? I have experienced grief. And have you experienced grief bitterly? That's the worst. You feel like part of your heart has been literally taken out. (gasps) You cannot breathe. You cannot function. You cannot think straight. To grieve bitterly. Nehemiah was, you know, he was 100%, you know, Loving God and His Word. And when he realized that, it it, it hurt him. It was something that involved everything he was as a person. His emotions, his will, and his intellect. Now, the Bible says that when he realized what happened, you know, it it, it grieved him bitterly. At the point that we see something similar to, to, to what Jesus did when He came to the temple. And He saw... The business that was going on, the religious business that was going on in the temple. And then he starts throwing the tables and even make an Indiana Jones weep. If you come across that man, you're going to get hurt. He was a Mediterranean man. Some people say, oh, no, he was a pacifist. He wasn't. If you get across Jesus in his anger, you will get hurt. I'm a Mediterranean man. I know what I'm talking about. Because the Bible says the seal of the house of his father concealed him. And he started throwing things and people scared to death. I mean, how many hundreds of people were around? They could just jump and grab him. But they saw the the anger, the holy anger in Jesus' face. And they saw, we better run. We better run. He's a crazy man there. Nehemiah had that passion at the point that he went into, into that room, second part of verse 8. And he threw out all the furniture from Tobias's house. The passion of Nehemiah for holiness exposed him before the people. And in a similar manner to Jesus Christ himself, as I said before, he used his physical strength as a final resource to such an abomination. As believers, we have, to, we have the responsibility to throw out of our temple everything that is not holy. You see, we are the ones responsible to identify Tobiases in our hearts. And we are responsible to throw that Tobiah and those furniture away. It is our job. It is not the pastor's job, the church job, your parents' job. You know, whoever we blame, it is our job. It is our choice. Am, am I gonna live for God? Am I gonna live a holy life? Or am I or I'm gonna keep on compromising? I'm gonna go against the flow and, and, and stand for righteousness, or I will try to blend in. Nehemiah decided to throw out to clean the house, just like Jesus Christ cleansed, you know, He, he cleansed the, the temple of his father. No. Something amazing at the beginning of verse 9, he says, and then I commanded to clean or to cleanse the place. It is interesting to see how Nehemiah did not clean the room that was profanated, but he commanded to cleanse it. In the same manner, we have no power to clean ourselves, but we should ask the Lord to cleanse us with his blood. As Carl was just saying, you know, talking about communion, Jesus died at the cross and he He shed his blood and his body was offered for us to experience that victory. So although it is our job to take things out, we don't have the power to clean ourselves. This is amazing, isn't it? Nehemiah came, throw away all the furniture, but then he asked for someone else to come and clean. The same way, sometimes, you know, we have to take things out of our lives and say, Lord, please... Come and clean me. It is, it, is, it is not the job of the Lord to take things out of your heart. You have to do it. But then he will come and help you clean. He will come and help you tidying tidy up. Okay? Now, very important point here, he says. I'm finishing, by the way. Point number four, second part of verse nine. Nehemiah brought back. Nehemiah brought back the things that belong into that room. Remember those six things, right? He says that he brought back the basic elements of the Christian life, the articles, the offerings, and the incense, symbols of the spiritual gifts, worship, and prayer. Now, he brought three things, but there were six things. He brought three things. He brought the articles, which symbolizes our spiritual gifts. He brought back the offerings, which symbolizes our worship. And the incense, which symbolizes our prayer life. This is quite amazing. That he just brought these three things, but they were six things. What happened to the other three? This is amazing because when we identify that there is a Tobias in our heart, it is our job to bring it out. It is our job to ask the Lord to come and clean us. But the amazing thing about the Lord is he's meeting us halfway. He doesn't come and expect you from day one to be just as you were before all the, the six things were taken away from that storeroom. But he's asking you to do three things. To restore your devotion with God, to your worship. To restore your prayer life. And to start using your spiritual gifts. When I was 19, I came out of a a very, a very severe crisis in my life. For a couple of years, I loved the Lord, but I was not living right. And I got to this particular point where I surrendered to the Lord and I offered my life to the Lord. Um... I spent hours just weeping and crying and confessing all my sins. And uh, there was this particular old lady, you know, praying for me, doing this, helping me through, you know, like a counseling, pastoral counseling, if you like. Uh, she was an evangelist, and she was in town to do this big crusade. She spent the whole morning with me, you know, praying and um, When the Lord restored me completely, when I just confessed my sins and I saw this picture of how my heart was so sinful and so, you know, under the influence of sin, so black, and how God came and restored me. I confessed all my sins. I I was extremely sincere. And when I finished... This lady said to me, would you, would you like to lead worship tonight in my conference? And I just felt ashamed. I just said, you just heard me. You just heard everything I've done in the last two years. You just, I'm ashamed of myself. I don't even know if I will be able to see, you know, to look at your face again. And she taught me this amazing lesson. There was no pride in her. Little old lady. And she says, you've been forgiven. And the, thing, the first thing that you have to start doing again is to use the gifts that the Lord has given you. I was a worship leader. And, um, you know, play music. And I felt so ashamed. I thought, God will never use me again. Because I betrayed him. I was a hypocrite. I felt like I have this gift that the Lord has given me and and I have ignored this and I have done sin. You know, God must be so mad at me. But I experienced the opposite. I experienced love and forgiveness and acceptance. And that's why I love the Lord so much because His love melted my heart. You see, I do not deserve to be here. None of us but he loves us. And that night, I grabbed my guitar and we have a, we have a party. You see? And when I finished, I came down on the stage and I went and sat down and I sat down in this particular chair and in the middle of the sermon, I've never experienced this before or after. I just started experiencing joy and joy and joy that I was saved, that God loved me. And I just started laughing. You know, I had my suit and I, you know, I just came down from the stage. I have an appearance to keep. And I just couldn't stop laughing. And I was just holding holding my, my face so I would not laugh because I just felt such a joy I could not contain. And... And I was tiring, and I was laughing, and I was holding it and holding it, and then I felt I have no strength in my body. And I was melt. I was like liquid water, I was, I was melting, melting, I just, and I was just trying to hold the chair. And I ended up under the chair, laughing. I make a fool of myself, I just couldn't help it. I was, I was safe. I was forgiven. I was the prodigal son that the father came and embraced and gave me a ring again and says, let's have a party tonight. Lord, I just wanted to come and please accept me and be your servant. He says, no, you are my heir. And everything is going to be restored. Hallelujah. I experienced that that night. That when we... Go through a difficult patch, a difficult time in our lives, when we get serious about the Lord and we repent and we say, "Lord, just please come to my life." You know what He does? He restores you immediately. There is not a process of. You know, you have to. He restores you immediately. The Father didn't say to the prodigal, "Son, okay, you know, just, just come, just stay in the stables for tonight." And I will see how I feel tomorrow about this. And let's see how you behave. Um, I don't trust you. Let's see how you behave. And in six months' time, maybe, maybe. No, the father went every day. He went outside to the borders of his domains, looking. Can you imagine that old man coming out? Not sure if he could walk properly. Coming out. And looking, days and weeks and months, probably years. And one day, he saw this dirty, skinny thing coming. And he was looking, could it be him? Could it be him? You know, it doesn't look like him. Not shaving a while. All his clothes are, that's not the clothes of my son. He's very skinny. Maybe he's a beggar. Who's that him? Is that him? But he has a a way of walking that he could identify. And he saw it was his son and he ran to him and embraced him and, and hugged him and kissed him. Because that's the type of God that we serve. He is love. He loves you and he loves me. Although we don't deserve him. That's why it's called grace. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. And Nehemiah understood this. The first thing that he brought was these three things the basic things, the articles, which is the gifts. He brought back the equivalent of our devotion, our worship our seriousness towards God and he brought back also the incense which is the prayer life but look what verse 12 says oh if we go to verse 10 he says i also realized that the portions for the levites had not been given them for each of the levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field so i contended with the rulers and said Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Call them all. Put them in their place. Pay back all their wages. You do what you are supposed to do. And when he did that, when he brought brought those three things, and when he put everyone in place, verse 12 says, Then... All Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the storehouse. The three missing things. You see, when we repent from our sins, when we come to the Lord, we, when we reunite with the church, with the body of believers, we have to just do the basics. Just let the Lord use you. Keep on worshiping. Keep on praying. In other words, talk to God, let God talk to you, and put into practice what the Lord has given you. But then, the tithe of grain, that's your faithfulness. That's your discipline. It will come. You may not get that the very, very first day. It will come. But then also the new wine and the oil came to the storehouse. Remember the new wine? It's joy. You will see how your life will start changing And God will start, you know, bringing you in the right direction. And the oil, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, feeling feeling His presence. And remember, new wine and oil, they symbolize also healing. When you come to the Lord, He embraces you. I can imagine that um, that, um, um, prodigal son. I can imagine him, you know, coming so skinny and so um, stressed out that his father hardly recognized him. <laughs> but he was probably, he was hungry, he was starving. He actually wished to eat the things that the, that the pigs were eating. He was probably wounded. He was probably bleeding. And although his father accepted him and embraced him, I can imagine his father saying, son, I love you, but you stink. Let's give you a good bath. And let's sort out all those wounds. You've not been sleeping in the right place. You've not been eating well. You probably got a rash. You got wounds. You know, you're sleeping among pigs. They probably bite you or step over you. You know, you got a broken toe. You got bruises. Healing. Healing happened in the house of the Lord, in the house of the Father. I just felt very strongly in my spirit to share this with you today, guys. I. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know to whom I'm, talk- I'm talking. I'm not talking to the whole church or people in specific, but I want to encourage you. No matter what you're going through, you may, you may have a lovely week or a tiring week. Maybe you're in a season of your life where things are changing for better or maybe things are not very good right now. But I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the answer Jesus Christ is the answer. He knows exactly, exactly the in and out, the ins and outs of your of your life. He knows exactly what you need. He knows precisely what is lacking in your heart. And the moment that we surrender to him, he will come with his love and his patience and his compassion and he will build you up. He will, he will build you up and he will give you the things that you are lacking. The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, Ask the Lord. He will give you wisdom. Hallelujah. Shall we do that? Shall we ask the Lord? Shall we take out our Tobiases and ask the Lord to come and clean our house? And restore the things that are supposed to be in our heart? That He will give you this stamina or the bravery or the words that you need to speak to someone? To share the word? Maybe to encourage your spouse? Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning, Lord, for you are Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are wonderful. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that has chosen to minister in, in your holiness, Lord. That's why you cannot stand when things are not done properly according to your, to your word. That's why, Lord, your, your, your church... In many ways, it fails because we focus so many times in the, in the wrong things. But Lord, you have called us to be a holy nation, chosen people, holy nation. You chose Israel, and Israel messed up. You chose the church, and the church is also messing up. But you are constantly searching for worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, you are searching for people who are real. You are searching for people who are imperfect, but they're real. Lord, you are not calling for perfection in our lives. You are the perfect one. You make us perfect. You are not calling for people who are experts. But the Bible says that you equipped those that you call. Lord, I pray that no one in this room today, no one here in this message whether it's today or in the years to come, that no one, Lord, will not respond to the calling of God in their lives because they are afraid of the transition and the changes. I pray, Lord, that you will empower, that you will give us the determination, that you will enlighten us, Lord, recognizing that we have been called to serve you. And although we don't know how sometimes, We do know that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That you will be with us always through thin and thick. You are God. And we worship you. And we believe you. And we trust you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you today. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your church. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have. To worship you, to come together as brothers and sisters, to pray for one another, to build one one another, and to witness to the world that there is hope in Jesus. That the word of God is still relevant today. That that blood 2,000 years ago is still saving and is still forgiving today. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. And amen. Love you guys. God bless you.